When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 110 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, brought to you in association with Sport Social, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network, and also our retail partner, Fanatics. We are recording immediately post Manchester City and, and we can't wait to discuss that in more detail shortly but to put that off just for a couple of minutes um, by way of introduction our guest today second time on the show um we have introduced you last time as a as long-suffering Evertonian Jim and yeah. that's you know no true word spoken as as today after the Manchester City game but joining us today is, is Jim Keoghan author of many many excellent football books Everton books um, and he's, he's got one one out of, or coming out shortly, and, and one out recently as well. How are you, Jim? After the, uh, after that today? Well, I was good until that game, and now I'm feeling less uh, less rosy. That was kind of that was a hard. I mean, I think everyone knew that was going to be a difficult ninety minutes, but um, I don't know. That was that was that was a hard watch today. It certainly was, and like I say, we'll try and put off a little bit discussing it if we can, uh, and we'll we'll let you have a have a quick a quick chat about you about your book that's hopefully come out before Christmas. Uh, but you have got one out which came out recently, which has got a a fantastic title. Um, talk talk our listeners through that one and how that that book came about. Yeah, so the most recent one is um, it's called "Is It Just Me or Is Modern Football Shit?" and it's just uh, like a it's an A to Z of everything that. I think certainly annoys me about modern football. Hopefully, annoys a lot of other people. Just to kind of um, the, the move away from like that pre nineteen ninety two world uh, where football seemed you felt kind of more connected to the game. And it's looking at things like you know half scarfs and the European Super League uh, punditry, all the things that in the game that kind of make it worse than it should be. Uh, and it's you know most of it is slightly tongue in cheek, but there's, there's there's points in there that are quite serious too about you know the way. The game is driven by greed and, and, and kind of a love of money and uh, and how we would never experience such massive levels of inequality in football too. So it's um it's it's kind of it's not as serious as my previous books, but it's um there's still kind of elements to it that are hopefully kind of educational as well. I'll definitely read that, mate. I Thanks. think I think since since the advent of Sky, isn't it really what you're saying? And and Sky bringing obviously the you know the huge amounts of money into the game. It, it's it, you are right. It is almost become elitist now, isn't it? And um, sadly, I think we've we've had a chat briefly about this on the pods before. You know, there's only a, a very small number of teams that have won what you'd call the old first division slash Premier League in the last thirty years. And if you want any sport to be enjoyable, there needs to be competition and competition spread across a lot more teams, isn't it? I think that's the sad indictment for me. Um, you know, history tells us obviously that over the previous decades there was, you know, I think it was the 60s, was it 60s, where there's like seven or eight teams won the league yeah. in 10 years or something like that. You know what I mean? That's what you want as a fan. 
definitely. I mean, it's, it's that sense that anything's possible. I know, like, you know, if you go back through history, money's always mattered in football, and it's always been mm. the bigger clubs who win most of the trophies. But you always had that sense that, like, you know, you could do a Wimbledon and, and go up in divisions or a Watford and kind of make it without even that much money. Or even have a chance of getting to the kind of the, the final FA Cup. Whereas now, most seasons start, you know who's going to win the league. It's going to be between a handful of clubs. You know who's getting European places. You know who's going to win the FA Cup, the League Cup. There's kind of that that kind of that that sense that anything is possible. Is I mean, it, it, it's still there. You, you might get a Leicester. It's you know, it, it can happen, but realistically, you know, before a ball's being kicked, how the season is probably going to end, which is. You know, clearly some people love that. Obviously, you know, the, the league's very popular, but I think for a lot of fans, it's becoming quite boring. Whereas you just, you know, where's the kind of excitement uh, in football when most seasons you're going to end up either being mediocre or being relegated? What kind of, What's the point of that? I agree. We find ourselves at the moment in in that mediocre category should we say which is which is not where we want to be finding ourselves of course and as, as i say we are going to discuss that man city game shortly but then just give us a bit of insight into your new book then jim which hopefully is going to be out before christmas with a bit of luck what's what's your yeah. what's the latest title what's that about so that's um i wrote a book back in two, 2014 called uh, punk football which looked at a kind of support to activism and support to ownership since like 1992 looking how kind of you know uh, fans have become kind of more political over the, the last, say, 30 years. Uh, and so with the kind of the fan-led review, which is being published, I think, this week in response to the, kind of the European Super League cock-up, uh, I thought I'd do a, like a short book looking at kind of what's happened since 2014 and what this fan-led review might mean for, like, the cause of support ownership and kind of where we go from here. Because a lot of people, a lot of fans look at places like Germany and they're quite jealous where supporters you know, own the club or simply have a, have a massive stake in the club where ticket prices are low and where fans have a sense of, a, of, of connection to the game that maybe we don't have over here where, where you know, a lot of fans are either priced out of football or your, your clubs are owned by Middle Eastern states or billionaires and that sense of connection that we once had is maybe gone. So I'm kind of looking at the book. Look, look, kind of looks at where we are now. Is would we ever get to a position where we're like Germany? Uh, what level does fan ownership cease to exist? Where is it impossible? What can be changed? And just there, uh, talking to those clubs who who are, are fan owned, and those groups in football who kind of um, you kind of lobby for greater kind of fan a greater fan stake in the game, looking at kind of where they think football might head in the next, say, 10 years? Yeah, the German model, I think, is a really good one. I mean, you know, let's let, let's let's be honest here. Football's always been a working-class game, isn't it? And and I think the German model, I think they've kept it, you know, uh, as, as well as they can do in, in obviously, uh, the world we live in now, which is very much a capitalist-type world, especially in the, in the Western culture, isn't it? Um, I don't know whether it has it gone too far now for 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 a league like the Premier League to be able to revert to that, isn't it? I mean, they just announced a, a two billion pound deal now with NBC uh, over in the states, which is again pumping even more money into it, isn't it? And it's just like I'd love to see it where you know, like in Germany, where the fans own a majority stake um, and and keep it, you know, um, more that type of that that type of model, but. I don't know, you know, as I said, is it almost as the horse already bolted, unfortunately, in our league, isn't it? It's the sad, sad indictment, isn't it? 
Probably. I think maybe certainly at the top, maybe the, the top maybe eight to ten clubs, the idea of the fans ever getting in control. Because of the, the amount of money you'd need to buy out a club and run it, it's mm. probably unlikely, really. I think football in this country is too far gone. But beyond that, in the rest of the pyramids, there's no reason why. You know, mm. Certainly in like leagues one, two, in the conference and below, fans can get a stake. And even in those clubs where you can't buy, it doesn't mean fans should have no voice. I mean, it's difficult because, you know, ultimately, when somebody buys a club, they have the final say. And we've experienced that. I mean, someone could come into your club, make lots of mistakes. And as supporters, there's not a lot you can do about it. And it seems a bit unfair that we're the ones who, generation upon generation, keep these clubs going. And yet one person could just come in and in space of five, ten years, destroy your club. And they can walk away and it's fine. You're left with the consequences. And that doesn't seem... Fair, but I think in the absence of any kind of um, will on behalf of the Premier League or the FA or UEFA or the government to kind of step in and intervene and really kind of restructure football and give fans a voice at every level of the game, I don't see how a kind of our level of football, how that changes really. Mm-hmm. So, when, when you see Chelsea putting up with it this season, saying a price is over £3,000 for a certain part of, of Stamford Bridge. You know, for next season, it's just it's just gone absolutely crazy in this in this country in the upper echelons of the Premier League. It's just it's just gone like 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 Lee said, has it gone too far? Um, but I, I do look forward to having a, having a read of both those. To be honest with you, the the set on my Christmas list. Um, and what we'll do is we we'll put we we'll put links out as well um, over the course of the next couple of days for listeners to to grab grab a copy, especially of your previous book. And then obviously when the new ones out, Jim, we'll get that get that yeah. advertised for you. For yourself as well, um, but but unfortunately we've got to leave that that nice football conversation um, and and jump back into into Everton, um, and we've just all all seen the uh, the game at the the Etihad Stadium. Obviously, Man City won the game three goals to nil. We we didn't go in there, you know, probably expecting much to be honest. You know, it's the Man City can turn over any side on any given day. We come away as I said with a three 0 defeat. But Peter, what, what are you feeling post-match? I know when we were talking during the game, I think you were on the on the edge about uh, turning off and and you know just coming away from things, watching watching that second half. But what what are your thoughts on the game? And do you think the performance was acceptable? Well, I think I felt deflated before kickoff, and then just the longer the game went on, the more the more deflated I felt. I, I mean, I don't think there would have been any Evertonian that would have looked at the team sheet and would have said we're going to get something out of the game. I think, you know, it felt like a fairly predictable performance and a fairly predictable result. I mean, we've played worse, haven't we? We've played worse this season. Um, But I I think I partially agreed with some of the commentators during the game, really, that, you know, Everton fans would like to see us have more of a go. But, but, you know, that, then equally, the, the more we come out against a football team like Man City, you're looking at 5-6-0 rather than, than 3-0. I, I thought that kept going through my head watching this is, is that team, is that squad that we had available? So, you know, with all the injuries we, we've got, etc., is the squad we had available better than Crystal Palace? Now, I'm not saying we should go there and, you know, and, and win or, you know, it'd be end-to-end football, but you just feel like the, the team isn't good enough. Um, 
and we've not got the the same balance. Even though you know we might we might have some some key players, some excellent players, and you know I think we it could be a bit of a long haul. Um, it, it was a, it was a difficult watch, and you look at the fixture list we've got coming up, and it, it's just hard to see how and where things are going to turn around. And I think we might all have to knuckle down for a bit of a rough ride. I think. I think quite a few people have mentioned the Palace game actually, Pete, on on Twitter afterwards, and saying, and even the commentators did as well, saying, "Oh, Palace gave City a lot more trouble." And but if you actually look into the Palace game and look at the stats, like first and foremost, they scored after five minutes, which massively helps if you go into City and you want to try and see off and win a game. Then they lost Rodri after forty-five minutes, so they were down to ten men. Then if you look at the stats, they still had near enough seventy percent possession, City, and they had ten men. Well, but I mean, Palace and also Palace, Palace, Palace had. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But also Palace didn't have anywhere near the injury list that we had either. So I think the important thing to you look if you go to City, you're going to have to have a bit of luck as well, you know. And they had that luck and they scored early, and then they obviously had a sending off, and then obviously they scored with two minutes to go. Conor Gallagher scored on the counter attack with two minutes to go, and City were trying to get an equaliser. That for me, that's the only way you beat City at the moment. That City team in their place, if you're an inferior side. The only way you beat that City team is they have 70% possession and when you break, you break with purpose and try and nick a goal. And, you know, obviously you're going to criticise us. We were awful in possession, especially in the first half. I'm definitely going to be critical of that. But, you know, City did this to everyone. They went to Stamford Bridge and against a really, really top Chelsea side, by the way, who just won the Champions League and battered them. They absolutely annihilated them. Chelsea didn't get out their own half. So... I think there needs to be a bit of context there. You know, with the with the team that we had out, like you said, Pete, before the game, you know, we'd have snapped your hand off for a, for a nil-nil. And, and and I, you know, I think there needs to be a bit of context. The more, the more worrying stat for me, forget the City result there, is the fact that Benitez has had two points from the last 18. That's what's more worrying. The bigger picture where we've lost to the likes of Watford and people like that when we should never have lost. That's more worrying for me, definitely. I think context is, is certainly the right word. I mean, you should never go into a game expecting to lose the game. Certainly not the players. The players shouldn't be going out there thinking, not going to win this today. Is there an element of that in, in the performance? Maybe. Um, I know as a fan base, we, we probably all thought, I can't see us winning the game today. I know I, know I, I, know I didn't. I, I hate thinking that, but that's, that's where we are. But I think you, you mentioned earlier about the... The only way to beat that City team, like you say, is to surrender possession. But when you do have possession, use it effectively. There was times in the game, I thought, when we had counter-attacked early on and then probably two or three times second half, where it's, it's all on decision-making, where we're making the wrong decision or we're too slow in that transition. Where I mean, you look at, and I don't want to single Bob players, but you look at the Awobi situation in the first half when he's past Kyle Walker. And all, you, all you've got to do for me there is cut across him because then he can't touch you. If he touches you, you're going to get a penalty. And he does. He, he then he then comes back with the ball, and you just think, go. You passed him. Go towards the goal. Come across him and get a shot off. Get a penalty. Whatever it might be. It's all in the quality of your possession in that kind of game because City, like you said, quality outfit. They're one of three teams who are going to be challenging for the league title. Um, you know they've. They've built a side over many, many years. They can do it to any side on any given day and no difference against ourselves. But you've got to question whether the players went out there and actually 
actually believe. But I saw you put Jimmy put a tweet out about you know is about the, the defensive nature of the game and coaching. You know, ten players to defend is that really coaching? What What are your thoughts on on the approach to the game? Where Where did it Where did it go wrong for us? I think you know. I think context is everything. I mean, you are going into this game. You know, you haven't got you've got a lot of players out injured and you're playing a fantastic football team at their ground. So, you know, realistically, we're never going to, you know, probably not going to get much from that game. However, you'd imagine that if you're going to go out there and you are going to set up to defend for 90 minutes, then at least get that part of the game right. And actually, you know, Everton defensively, they weren't that good today. You know, Michael Keane is frequently switching off. Uh, they weren't clearing the ball properly. They were, they were they were the second balls, they were, they were getting outdone. They were getting sprinted past by slow players. I mean, there were parts of the game that you, sh- you that you should be doing. I mean, clearly City have got better football than us. They're a better football team. But you're getting kind of out-battled by them, outrun by them. The things that you can do well as a football team, if you're just going there to kind of shut things down, we weren't even doing that. So, like, it felt like you were just sent out there with a vague game plan of, Let's sit behind the ball and hope for the best without actually working out how you do that properly. I think that's why you can go to City and get a, and get a draw. You can make life hard for them. It might not always work because they're a fantastic football team, but it felt like not only were we poor going forward, we were poor defensively as well. I mean, there were countless mistakes during the game. You're thinking, that's, I've seen that before, I've seen that before, I've seen that before. That's just what we do now at the moment. And it's... Um, I think you, you, can, you can get off the hook a bit because, because it's City. You can say, oh, well, you know, it's it's City, what do you expect? But actually, there are elements of that game today that you've seen in previous games against lesser teams where, like, we should have won the game and we should have been better. And that's what worries me. It's not just this isn't a one-off where you're getting beat by a great team. We're not beating shit teams either. And we're not kind of, I'm dropping points against teams where we, you know, everyone knew that this run of hard games was coming. We needed to enter it with maximum points, and we haven't done that. We've lost against Villa and Watford, West Ham. You, you know, we should be at home, really. This, if that's what, what worries me. And then you can go into these games and think, ah, oh, well, it's just three points. But actually, it's part of a trend, and it's, and if you know, it's going to continue. We've got a horrible run coming up, and uh, I don't trust this side to go out and, and grind out a draw against Liverpool or Chelsea. They're going to get battered, and that's that, that that that's what's worrying going forward. I agree, mate. I think I think the confidence is shot now. The confidence yeah. is completely shot. Confidence is everything in football, sport, everything. And their confidence is shot. They look like a team that's got two points out of the last 18 available. That's yeah. what they look like at the minute. They really do for me. And their confidence is shot. Now, yeah, I agree. I, you know, certainly in possession, we were awful. Pickford was just launching it into space and and, and, and expecting Richarlison to hold it up against you know two centre-halves. That was probably one of the easiest games they've ever had. Um, and clearly, maybe the instructions were, look, don't play out from the back in the first half. Don't play out and try and concede possession like Arsenal tried to do to Liverpool yesterday and got and got absolutely annihilated. But um, in the end, you know, we were looking like we were going to go in at nil-nil, almost well, definitely fortuitously going to go in at nil-nil. But then, you know, that's an absolute bit of genius, that is, from Cancelo, that is, for the first goal. I mean, it, look, it wasn't a great clearance. They were picking up all the second balls, like you said. Rodri was hoovering up everything. Um, and it was a poor clearance that led to it. But I mean, that that is an absolute. You you probably won't see a better pass this season with the outside of his foot there. That was De Bruyne esque, and that was their fullback. You know what I mean, which is scary. But um, yeah, I mean, as soon as it went down to one nil. But even even for me, before that, Mike, you just mentioned there about Awobi, and as soon as Gray Gray pulled up 
with a groin injury, you just knew then because Gray, Gray is Gray is your threat, isn't he? He's your threat in the counter to carry the ball 50, 60, 70 yards and try and cause something on the counter attack. As soon as he pulled up, that was it. Because Awobi is not a Damari Gray, is he? You know what I mean? He's nowhere near as quick. He's not going to carry the ball 50, 60 yards and relieve pressure. As a result, you know, we, we know the score. You know, Richarlison was isolated. They were winning every second ball. And then it was a case of a, a case of when and not if. Um, and that, and that, that was, that was the, the sad indictment for it for me. Many, many, many negative things, I think, to take, to take from the game. And the, the migraine going off so early is probably one of the, the, the major things. You know, one of our, our brightest players this year. And that I think a lot of our, our counter-attacking would have revolved around him and centred around his pace. You know, you him, him, Townsend, Richarlison, Andy Gordon as a, as a collective four. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of the game plan from an attacking sense would have would have come from from that side and as soon as he went down you know and, and held his groin I mean we're t- are we talking there four six weeks you know that remains to be seen I think you know he, he could be missing for some really really important and difficult games over the next month especially uh, depending on how how serious the injury is and you know yet again that's another concern the fact that we We've seen another injury to another key player when we've got so many players out and still not getting back to full fitness. And and you wonder what side we're going to be taking taking to Brentford because thrown into the mix, the Charlton's now suspended. So you, you fear for what we're actually going to see on the day when it comes to playing to playing Brentford. But it's um it's one of those games where you know yes okay you can you can sign forget about it you can sign put it into context and and I'm I'm on board with that side of things but like you say Lee it's a story behind it isn't it it's it's looking at what has gone before and like you said Jim we're losing games to size we should never be losing losing games to you know we're capitulating against Watford you know we're putting in a, an awful first 45 against the Wolves side which which cost us the game um you know you could argue we we improved which I think we did we improved against Spurs and um, but probably unlucky not to not to get something more from that game. But we've we've put ourselves and we find ourselves now in a in a really difficult position going into the the next month or so, which we will touch on shortly. But Peter, come to come back to you. Obviously, we touched on the first goal there. Do you think there was an improvement in the second half? Did you, did you think that we were brighter? You know, there was a few substitutes made in the in the uh, over the course of the game, but in the second half, we we seemed to change shape a little bit. Went four four two. Can you take anything from that second half at all? I, I, I promise you, I'm not being mega negative here, but no, no. The the reason we started a bit bright at the start of the second half is because we're one nil down. We had no choice. We had no choice. So either you throw the game or you have, you have to come out and try and do something. And I think that that's the only reason for me that we came out any different was because we were losing. So I. Well, you know, I, I really agree with what, what, what the lads have said, but I, I think it comes down to the, the players aren't good enough. You know, we've got Awobi on one flank and Gordon on the other. And, you know, Anthony Gordon's a player that's still developing, um, you, you know, and to, to start against Manchester City, what pressure. And I, I mean, look, the jury's arguably out on, on Alex Awobi, but is it his confidence? Is, it, is he just not good enough? For me, he's just not good enough. I think some Evertonians are slightly kinder to him, but it would have been a miracle if we would have got something out of the game. And I, 
I sort of agree with Jim, really. I, I think whether Rafa Benitez is still our manager the other side of Christmas depends on whether we lose games narrowly or whether we get pasting. How many times we get absolutely walloped by some of the teams we're, we're facing. I think that, honestly, I think that will be the difference. I think we have to tread so carefully. It really is such a precarious situation. And we kind of knew that when we appointed Rafa. Any sort of dodgy run, he was going to come under loads of pressure. And this is what we're seeing now. Um, and like I said, it's so precarious because, you know, as we've said before, you stick Calvert-Lewin, you stick Mina and you stick Decore in that team. Mm. And then you'd probably say, you know, you'd push for a top eight finish if they stay fit. You take them out of the team. Even if they'd have been available today, by the way, I wouldn't have fancied as obviously. We may have put up more of a fight, but obviously I think the result would have been the same. But, you know, you take them out of that team and suddenly we're a bottom half team, you know, possibly even just above relegation, really, if you're being honest. But, but there's that, loads that, of them that's how turned over, isn't there? Yeah, know, like, like, you know, like we said before, the first half against Wolves was just unacceptable for any football team, never mind Everton. Yeah, Rafa admit that he got that massively locked wrong and he, he should have changed that way before it was 2-0 because second half as soon as he changed the formation we were a much better team and, you know, and also to caveat that a little bit as well I mean you know, West Ham were probably one of the most informed teams in the league got turned over quite comfortably by Wolves yesterday as well uh, at home so obviously you know, Wolves are obviously on a, a, bit, a, bit of a, a bit of a high at the minute but yeah you're right Pete I mean still it was unacceptable the way we, where we played in that game in the first half especially uh, totally agree with you there but it's all, it all hints on that West Ham game that Jim alluded to before because that game was heading for a nil-nil. We'd have probably taken a nil-nil with the players we had out. And then obviously they've nicked it on a set piece, very similar to what they did to us there at like Goodison last season. And then since then, we've capitulated against Watford. We've you know, not turned up in the first half against Wolves. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in this situation now where it's obviously snowballed. And, 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 and now you're like, Jesus Christ, we've, we've hardly got anything. Uh, and then like Mike just said then, you know, to lose Richarlison to a nonsensical yellow card. He thought, obviously, Townsend was fouled. He could possibly say he was. And he's just thrown himself in and got himself booked. Now, out of the next run of games we've got, you'd arguably say Brentford are slightly out of form. You know, that's a win, probably the most winnable game. And now we're, now, now we're left with our, without our main goal scorer. Gray is very unlikely to be playing. He, like you said, Mike, he could be out, depending on the strain, for the next four to six weeks. Then all of a sudden you're thinking... Are we going to score against Brentford now? Do you know what I mean? So uh, that that's massively concerning. And then obviously we've got Liverpool in the week, um, so it, it really is piling on top of him. And, and that's why I'm saying we've got to tread so carefully because I just don't want us to get in a situation where we're just getting manager after manager after manager after manager and pressing the reset button over and over and over again. We just have to acknowledge, I suppose, if we stay up this season and finish similar to where we did last season with the players we've had out, do we have to turn around as fans and say, well, that's the best we can do with this squad? Is that what we have to say? And we have to be really honest. Are we going to be, you know, say, well, it should be top six. It should be top six. We're Everton Football Club. I, I don't know. I don't know. What is the realistic answer here? Should we be really saying with that squad, a top 10 finish is a good, a good result, as horrible as that sounds to say out loud? I think, you know, we, we've touched on this before. We said it last season. That Everton squad, once they get two or three injuries to, to key players, it's decimating and it's poor. And what, what comes after the, the sort of start 11 or maybe 12 or 13 players is not good enough. And we've said that. And I think the, the serious concern is that we, we've seen certain areas not addressed in the summer. So the, the right back position is, is one which we keep on going on about. 
um, where we haven't seen that addressed. There's an argument there maybe we should have looked at, at another centre-half. Certainly, you know, a, a better a better backup for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as we, we've seen over, you know, since he's been injured, we've struggled massively in that in that department. Um, so th- th- there's a whole bigger pictures to this, but also, let's, let's caveat that with it. It's important not to overreact when you lose a game to Man City. Any side can do it. Um, I just think that it's, like we've said, it's, it's, it's just everything adding up together, what's gone before this game. And now people, we're all looking around thinking, what are we going to do over the next sort of few weeks now? How, how are we going to get put out a half-decent start 11 first of all in the next couple of games? But then how are we going to pick points up in, in games that are coming up? And that's that's the biggest the biggest issue that we've got at the moment. Um, but we are going to, in the second half of the show, discuss the rest of December and what our thoughts are. But to just jump back into the game, you know, we look at the second half, we look at the goals that we concede, yet the Rodri goals are worldy. But Jim... Should you know we saw about before about how we've been you know in the game today? How many times are we just hooping the ball clear, swinging our foot and going coming straight back? Should should Alan be doing better there with his his sort of clearing slash pass that he made, which goes right into the path of Rodri and obviously he's caught it perfectly. But should we should we be doing better there collectively? Yeah, well, I mean that that goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say to kind of surrender to City and say that you are you know, we're playing a better team who are you know man for man a better football inside, which is probably true. But but you know, it's the simple things that we aren't doing. You know, if you, if 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 you if you accept that you're inferior in a, in, a, in a, an attacking sense, say then and you are you are going to defend against this team. Then yeah, then clear the ball properly. Then concentrate the entire game. Then you know, do the simple things well, the basic things. There's that clip, isn't it, of Delph in that City documentary where he talks about you know, he, he looks like a tit. We talk about that kind of basic football and what doing the simple things well. And it comes back to that where like you know this Everton team, you're low on confidence. You're going to you know, one of the worst places to go to in the country if you're low on confidence. You're playing a fantastic football team. You will probably win the league. Then. Don't go, don't go there and make mistakes. And if if you do everything right and you work hard and you and you concentrate and you lose one nil or two nil, you think fine, and you can build enough for the, the next few games. Problem is now we go into the next few games with a team that is low on confidence, that is riddled with cock ups. That you know there are players you you never know what version of that player you're going to get. Are you going to get a decent Michael Keane, crap Michael Keane, Alan who can battle, Alan who's lost. I mean you don't know. What's happening one game to the next? We are consistent, and we don't do the simple things in football well, from which you can then build and get better. Because right now, Everton just needs to be resilient and hard to beat, and just try and get through this horrific run and get to like January and have some more points on the board, and then get players back, and hopefully, second half of the season, we get better. But at the moment, there's kind of a horrible reality where you you see at this Everton team. We would devoid of confidence, just lose to Brentford and then lose the next game and lose to Liverpool and lose, 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 lose. Get to Christmas and, you know, God knows what state we're in by then because we can't seem to do the basic stuff, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that, mate. I totally agree with that. The basics are the minimum you expect in football, yeah. isn't it? To try, to try and be competitive against, against these teams. I mean, look, City have won four out of the last five leagues, for God's sake. You know, they've had key players out injured today as well with the likes of De Bruyne and people like that. So, 
But they, you know, the fact they can replace De Bruyne, you know, with with other players, he can even throw like you know a Palmer in today, for example, who can just slot into that system. Um, you know, they're an incredible team, incredibly well coached. Um, you know, as I said before, I think I sent you guys screenshots of the stats City have done against Palace, against Chelsea. Um, you know, they, they even they, for me, they, they should have won the game against Liverpool as well. It's the fact Liverpool's front three are so potent that they got something out of the game and Salah scored a worldie. So, you know, this City team, as we said, are a top, top side. But um, the, the, the the sort of, you were just talking about there, trying to build on something. I was hoping we would do that on the back of the Spurs game because I thought yeah. we played well in that game. You know, and we were lucky not to to get the to get the winner really, and you know, obviously we were robbed of a penalty as well, really. But um, I suppose the worst thing after that Spurs game was then to have an international break and then obviously play City away, which is arguably the hardest game in the league you'll face all season. Um, which is a shame, really, because as I said, we could have built on something there. Um, but you know, look, I just Rafa has now got literally hardly any tools to work with. He's got to find a way now, like you said, to try and grind out some results. You know, this time last year, we went into a December where we looked at the fixtures and thought, how are we going to get anything there? And then Carlo managed to somehow have an incredible December. And we were second on Boxing Day, weren't we? Uh, which is when you look back at it now is crazy. But then obviously we then started to lose key players after that and then fell off a cliff and finished in, finished 10th. So, um, and that's, that, that's where we are at the minute. We're literally on a precipice. We're absolutely on a precipice. We lose some key players. And as I said before, our team just becomes absolute fodder. Um, but we've got to find a way when we do lose, lose those key players. If we have to play an, an absolute boring, you know, nil-nil, then so be it. You know what I mean? To keep some form of momentum going. Because that Brentford game now, where obviously they're playing at home, they're a decent side. They gave Liverpool a hell of a game. I think it finished 3-3 in the end. And they nearly nicked it in the last minute with Tony as well with a disallowed goal. So that's not going to be an easy game. I know they've lost to Norwich recently and things like that. But, you know, it won't be an easy game at all. But we've got to get something out of it. We really have going into the derby. We've got to get something out of that game. Uh, how he's going to do it with those players out now, your guess is as good as mine. But we have to get something out of it. That, that game that game is huge. And obviously, we, we'll we'll review Brentford in the, in the next episode. But... What, what I think it's important that we do discuss, you know, we'll we put the City game to bed uh, if we can do, but we'll take a short break and we, we'll discuss the rest of December when we've got eight massive fixtures coming up. Welcome back to the second half of this week's Unholy Trinity podcast. We've just been discussing Manchester City and the defeat that we've seen um, today at the Etihad and you know, looking at what, what are the ramifications of that really and, and what's gone before and we find ourselves now in a really difficult position going into the remainder uh, or into a, sorry, a really, really busy, busy um, eight games before we before the turn of the year. And the next game we've, we've got Brentford, which is obviously the back end of, of November before some some even more difficult fixtures. And, and the question is really, looking at those eight games, where where can we likely pick up points it's you know it's it's a difficult question to answer, of course, but you know we've we're going to have players injured. There's still no no uh, return date for Dominic Calvert Lewin. Talk of maybe two or three weeks, but I think that was that was said with a little bit of caution by the manager. Potentially, the Corey could be back for the Brentford game. We don't know. Yeah, you mean it. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, you know, and then we've got obviously the Gray broken down. Tom Davis is injured. Andre Gomez has been out for a while. All these players, you know, as, as much as some some people might not think that some make a huge difference, 
they still add to the quality of a, of a decimated squad. But looking at those fixtures, Peter said Brentford next, the Merseyside derby, Arsenal, Palace away, Chelsea away, uh, Leicester, Burnley, Newcastle. Where are we going to get points out of, do you think, in over the next the next sort of four or five weeks? I think, as you say, it's it's probably all going to come down to who we've got available. What, what squad can we put out? I, I mean, I, I think if it's a, a team similar to today, for most of those games, you, you're struggling, aren't you? Um, and, I'm, I mean, you might even look at the likes of Newcastle and think, well, you know, OK, we should win that game, but... You know, it'll be just our luck to to play them when they've had you know six, seven games under Eddie Howe, and they've sort of re-established the system and got the confidence up a little bit. And um, you know, the, the the transfer window will be sort of looming, and they'll be looking to bring people in. So you can probably predict their confidence will be uh, at an all-time high for the season at, at the point we do come to play them. So there's not an easy game in there, and I I, I think. For me, the hope comes from last week's game against Spurs because I thought we were very, very good and I thought we were very organised and we looked like we had an established system and we were playing like a team again. So I, I think if we can get back to that style of playing, you know, we, we can hopefully come out with some points. But I think the worry is the calibre, again, of team that we're playing. You know, you look at the Chelsea game, I hate to say it, hate to say it, you look at the derby, and you almost think, first and foremost, you don't want to get leathered. <laughs> and, but no, it's, it's, you're right in what you're saying. And unfortunately, is what, what it's become a little bit, isn't it, against these sides. We know Liverpool are a top side, whether we like to admit it or not. They're one of the three teams who are going to challenge for the league title. But your first thought is, you don't want to be coming away from Goodison Park after a 3-4-0 defeat, which could which could happen. But, I mean, I mean, Jim, do you think that this this side that we've got available at the moment maybe throw in the Correa Mina for, for, the, for the Merseyside derby? You know, fingers crossed that those two are, are back. Do you think that we can go into that kind of game where, you know, passion, energy, commitments, discipline, all of those things are massively important? Can we cause that kind of side any kind of problems, do you think, at the moment? I think, uh, I think the derby... Because it's a Goodison, and even you know, recent years when we've been really shite, we've, we've seemed to be not too bad at Goodison. You know, it, it, when we get battered, it tends to be at their place. So you're right. If you know, if, we, if the if the crowd's up, and we have a few um, a few players back, then maybe maybe we can get a point. I mean, you know, you look at that you look at that fixture list, and you know, there are games there where you know, depending on what version of Say Everton turn up against Arsenal. What version of Arsenal turn up against us could be a point there, could be a win there. There are points to be taken. Um, again, if, if people come back, you, you know, you can maybe see like a timeline where things aren't that bad, and we get to be, we've got quite a kind January, so if we can kind of stumble through these these next six weeks and maybe pick up a win or a draw in there. I think we can kind of pick up form later on. But I mean, it depends. I think a lot. I think a lot depends. Who comes back when they come back, and also who else we lose? Because you know, based on the previous what three months, the odds on Everton getting through the next two months without more players getting injured seems very slim. You know, we we're moaning about an injury crisis before this game, then we lose Gray. I mean, we seem to have a real problem with the team. That we, you know, there seems to be nobody 
who, who your confidence can get through more than a couple of months without getting an injury. So it'd be great to have. I mean, I think Everton's first eleven is decent. It's a good team that could probably finish in the top eight. It's you know that it's, the problem is it's the the wider squad is is a like a relegation squad, and that's that that's our that, that's our main issue. So if everyone comes back and nobody else gets injured. And we get a bit of fight, uh, then we can get through this period. But I, I personally, I don't see it. I just think we're going to lose more players. The ones who come, who are coming back, might not come back quick enough. Might not come back being match fit. And then um, you, you, you're facing a kind of successive run of really, really good football teams. And based on our current performances, you know, I can see us getting to Christmas and being really fucked. <laughs> I, I think too, too fair. Sorry, mate. I, I think this is why I've said, this is why I'm saying I'm using the word the precipice because I think it is because like you know if those players do come back, we've got to be so careful we don't rush them back mm-hmm. and then we end up getting injured again and being out for another four to six to eight weeks depending on what the injury is. And that's the, that 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 is the real worry because we need those bodies back. These aren't just like squad fillers that are out injured. You know these are they, that's the spine of our team. You know what I mean? And, and Calvert Lewin is is paramount to the way Rafa wants us to play. You know, he needs someone up there that can basically hold the ball. He need, you know, his plan was to obviously play on the counter with fast wingers and put in umpteen crosses and try and get Calvert-Lewin on the end of it. You know, we haven't had Calvert-Lewin. The only one did he play the first two games of the season? That was it. You know what I mean? And I think he scored two goals in those games as well. You know, he's vital to the way we want to play. And Decore, arguably, not only was probably our best player, but was one of the best midfielders in the league before he got injured. You know, and then obviously you throw Mina in the mix, who's comfortably our best centre-half. Um, and then obviously, you know, mean is the sort of play you need in a game against Brentford, for example, where there's going to be long throws, corners, everything's going to be thrown at us. You need him in there to win, to win every single header and battle because that's what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, they're almost like a, a you know, an old-fashioned Stoke City type side, aren't they? Where they're going to put it, put it on us. Um, so those, those three key players are paramount to try and get something out of these games. And, and that's that's the, like I said that that is the real concern, and we need those players back as soon as possible. You know, we've got like ten games now in a very very short space of time, haven't we? You know, where in, other injuries, like you said, are likely to happen. Um, you know, once if Coleman gets injured now, it's very likely that he probably will do at his age. You know, there's, there's a very good chance he's having to play every single week. He's playing international football still. There's a very good chance he's going to break down at some point. Then all of a sudden, you know, we've got John Joe Kenny coming in. You know what I mean? And as we know, as we know with Kenny, I mean, he's probably not good enough for a bloody championship side, really, is he? Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a real, real tough situation. And, and that's why we have to try and see it out as best as we can. And just like I said, we just almost have to accept as Everton fans now, as horrible as it is, that this season is just another season of just basically trying to see it off until the summer and then just try and, you know, start again. Uh, as, as horrible as it is to say that, I mean, that, that's where we are, isn't it? I think the points that surrounding injuries is a, is a real key one, like like Jim was saying. Obviously, we, we've got the players we've got out now at this moment in time. But especially over a busy, busy Christmas period, especially, obviously, the, the, the temperatures are dropping as well, which which impacts on, on injuries and things like that. And with our injury record, which is absolutely atrocious, by the way, I'd love to see some kind of stats on over the last sort of three or four seasons because it seems to happen time and time again. And we, we, we spoke um, in the last episode about the changes that were made. Obviously, um, Danny Donachie left the club um, and whether he's taken some of the flack and he's been the fall guy for, for the injuries that we've had and, and players who may, might have been maybe rushed back 
and have broken down again. See any happen with, with Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um maybe maybe Everton are trying to to deal with that side of things and address that side of things. But given the fact that we've got from from now until the end of December, there's there's eight fixtures, which is a lot of lot of games in in what five, six weeks. You know, it it's it's stretching it a really, really thin squad to the max. And that's that's the big concern, isn't it? You know, what what kind of side are we going around by the time we get we get to the Merseyside derby in, in say ten days or even, you know, a bit further Chelsea in the middle of December. What kind of squad are we going to have at that particular point? Uh because again, you know, you don't want to be rushing these players back. The key players, they're vital to how we play. There are better players that are the spine of the team. You know, when they can break down again so easily, and that's that's such a, a big concern. So to manage them is is massively important. But then that's what gives you the that's what frightens you with what is what is to come over the next the next week, uh, next week, the next the next uh, month or so. And I think you know it's it's important not to overreact and things like that. But I, I totally understand people's fears. I really do going into what we've got what we've got coming up and. We've just got to hope that we can, like you said, Jim, just sort of bimble our way and bundle our way through and pick up a few points. You know, if you can come out of those eight games for me with a couple of wins and a couple of draws, you'd be thinking you've probably done all right. You know, if you're getting eight points from those and you think, well, listen, grand scheme of things there, we, we, we haven't done too bad. But again, it just hinges on who we get back in and, and how we manage those, those players. Um, but... Blaming, like, the, PG, uh, bl- bl- blaming the temperatures there, mate. You sound like Klopp blaming the winds. Then, <laughs> listen, it's it's a key, it's a key thing, isn't it? And the way the way that our players drop, it's it's something which which I'm sure they're gonna have to look into. I'd, I'd have them all wrapped up in those uh, those skins, legs, upper body, hands, face, everything. Um, just 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 to keep them, you know, an extra uh, degree centigrade warmer than the uh, than they would normally be, but. I mean, I'm sure, Peter, the, uh, I'm sure know, the Everton Dars would love that. <laughs> this is modern football, isn't it? It's modern football and it's shit. That's a, that's as isn't it, Jim? You know what I mean? That's that's the way the way it's gone. You know, you should do a chapter on that actually about um, about the pampered the pampered modern footballer. But what what Peter? Do you think that if if we come out of the next the next month or so, we at the turn of the year, and and say we won one one of those games, maybe maybe none. Do you think in that time that the manager is 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 next on the line? It might sound like a daft question because people go, of course it is, but do you think that Everton will go down that road again? I think it's about the the, the nature of performances. I mean, you I go back to Marco Silva and you I always felt he was very popular, Marco Silva, and we, we played some brilliant football at times under him, but it, it was the nature of how we started to lose games, I think, ultimately that that led him to lose his job. And I think that would probably be the case with, with, you know, with Rafa. I think there's a difference between, you know, narrowly losing a game or, um, you know, losing by by one, maybe two goals. But once you get into regular sort of three, four plus goal territory, it's it's a sinking ship, and you know, clearly you've lost some sort of fundamental security and. It's almost like the point of no return. I think in football management in the in the Premier League. I mean, I, I know it's very different, but I, I think you know, look at what's just happened at United. I think that that's exactly the same thing for me. You know, I, I think if they lose that game, you know, two one, fair enough, it's it's still unacceptable. But 
I mean, I, you never know. It's you know hindsight to daft thing, but would Solskjaer still be um, in his job? I think quite possibly. So I, I think that's what it's going to come down to. Um, you know, and I hope we have another sort of miracle December where somehow you know we rise to the challenge of those games. Um, you know, and, and who knows the ones that are at home if we can get something out of them. It might mean that we we go into January in a very sort of different psychological place, regardless of the players we've got. But I think if we get hammered, the board are going to be in a really difficult position. I think. What are your thoughts, Jim, on on the on the manager? Were you, were you when he came in? Were you on board with the appointments of Benny says, or were you in the uh, sort of the the naysayers, should we say? You know, I, I thought it was a bad idea. I thought the po- problem with like Everton is that we will we will always have periods like this. We're not City, we're not, you know, Liverpool or, or Chelsea. We we're always going to have a period of bad form. You have that every season, especially if you're a new manager coming in to like rebuild the team. Um, like you know, normally in those periods with a, with a new boss, you have like a bank of goodwill that you eat into when things go badly, and then hopefully things turn around. Problem with someone like Benitez, that goodwill doesn't exist amongst massive swathes of the fan base. So this is always going to become toxic really quickly. And so you end up having a period like this now where, where the fans are, you know, there's a good proportion of the fans who are not behind the manager. And that's going to create, you know, you need your home advantage, you need your crowd behind you. So if we, you know, if we go, we pick a batter by Liverpool and you know, we lose to Brentford and Liverpool turn us over, Goodison's going to be a horrific place to be. Benitez, how do you how do you get your best at your team then when you've got that kind of atmosphere uh, around you? So, you know, when, when he was appointed, I hoped it would turn out. Yeah, you looked at this kind of fixture run before Christmas, and you could pinpoint these months as being tricky. But if we didn't get loads of points before mid-November, and we went into these this period not great, this is all going to be a, a, a horrific run for him. And you can, you know, if things don't work out and those those games go against us, you can see getting to, to Christmas where it'd be hard to put a case for keeping him. How, how do you keep a manager who's not doing it on the pitch and who most of the fan base don't like? It's, you know, especially when you've got a, a chairman who's quite trigger happy. And I think, you know, regardless of what we think, if he doesn't, if it's not working, he'll sack him. That's just how he seems to work. So, um. I think it would probably be bad for the club right now because we need a bit. We need a manager to be in a position for more than you know, more than what's it been? You know, we're getting like eighteen months. Or if you, you know, if he goes, it's like what six months? We need better than that. But if we're what bottom six, bottom eight, and playing terrible football, and having red shites laughing at us, and having a, an unpopular manager, what do you do? You know, we can't go down. And you need your boss to be light. So it's um and I think it's it's I think we've sort of shot ourselves in the foot with this appointment. And here we are. It's it's the worst case scenario, but it's happened. It's you know, likely gonna happen. We're probably gonna lose to Brentford, probably gonna lose to Liverpool. I'm gonna be in that position where you've got a boss who's hated and not doing well. It was always a risk, wasn't it? It's such yeah. a conundrum. It's such a conundrum. You know what I mean? And 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 the worry is, you know, if Rafa goes and that, like you said, that could well could well be the case, as early as it sounds. And then, and then you're in a situation: who do you get in in yeah. middle of in the middle of a season? Yeah, you know, I mean, do you then give Duncan a go? Which obviously a lot of people are saying Duncan should have a go. And obviously that split the fan base, and that's another story altogether. So, 
it's 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 it just feels like it's just a mess. Ever since Moyes left, isn't it? We've lost that sort of continuity and that sort of stability and consistency. And and um, you know, Paul from the, you know the Ask put a great article. I don't know whether you guys read it out the other day about obviously Brands's role in the club and stuff like that. And um, you know, it's a really good read. If anyone hasn't read it, give it a read. And he makes the case really for like Brand bringing one of the you know. Europe's best directors of football, who's got great connections in the game, who's very well thought of, who's clearly well liked by Mashiri as well, and then just not giving him the keys to the car. You know what I mean? And then him having to work then with five, six managers in a very short space of time, who all want to play different styles of football, who want to bring different profiles of players. Whereas, you know, if he's left to do his job and the full autonomy of his job, it doesn't matter what manager you bring in then, because he's, he's, he's bringing in players to play a certain way. And to play a certain system, and therefore, then you know, if you do change your manager, it's not as big an upheaval then, because then you've got these guys already ready to go. And obviously, you know, Mashiri clearly hasn't given hasn't given him, that, you know, the option, the opportunity to do his job, you know, the, the full, you know, the full actual uh, job description that he's there to do. And as a result, we end up in a situation like we are now, where you know, but he has, you know, he's only brought brought in two players in the summer. You know, you could say were his own players, and that cost basically both of them practically free transfers. So you have to take that into consideration as well. And it's just, you know, we end up in, you know, you could go around in circles, couldn't you? Just talking about all, all of this, but for me, you know, we really have to if we, if we are going to go down and, and try and be a consistent side and, and try and compete for trophies eventually. You know, we need to if we are, if that's the model we're going to choose, we need to use that model and just get let 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 them get on with it. Uh, rather than undermining his position and then basically letting managers basically have the final say on certain things and him having the final say on on on, on several things as well when obviously he's clearly a very successful businessman, Mashiri, but is is he a real football man? You know what I mean? So I don't know, you know, it's it's that that's where we stand right now as a club and, and that that's where I'm really worried about it and that's why I'm definitely gonna read your book, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's most definitely. I mean, that's obviously the, the discussion around the board is probably for for another day. And um, obviously, wasn't making making the uh, the AGM an online meeting again is not probably out there their cause. I wouldn't have thought. Um, but we'll leave we'll leave this we'll leave the show there for this week. Um, it's a one of those shows in that where you know result was probably expected, but still not ideal. Uh, but Jim. Thanks very much for, for giving us some time tonight to, to talk through the, the game and all things Everton. No worries. Thanks for having me. Okay, and we'll be back. We'll be back uh, to do the the Brentford preview in the middle of uh, middle of the week. So we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three Blues. Three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.